Welcome to the Pastor's Roundtable Podcast, a podcast where we pull apart and deconstruct the habits, routines, and tactics of the great men and women of faith. Drastically changed my life. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here is your host, Ryan Latham. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Pastor's Roundtable. This episode, uh, I really believe, is going to be value to you and to your team. Uh, we're going to be talking with David Miller, who is the Vice President of Coaching at the Slingshot Group, uh, who has just wrote a new book that uh, is available today. You need to go out and get it. Uh, it's called Improv Leadership. And we're going to be diving into the book. We're going to be talking about uh, how it would help you and you leading your team. And so I'm excited. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, I appreciate it, Ryan. It's good to be with you. So Dave, why don't we take a step back and why don't you just tell us a little bit about your ministry journey, kind of how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, no, happy to. Man, I, I took a pretty roundabout path, if, you know, if I'm honest. I, uh, I was kind of that punk kid in, uh, in youth ministry that, that most youth pastors, you know, you should want, but you don't want, you know, like just, just kind of, you know, messing around a lot. Um, and I a ended kid up, uh, that is annoying during the time, but you kind of hope there's future for that's, that's exactly it. We've all had them <laughs> and I was one of them. Um, you know, give us a break, you know, we'll come around. And, uh, and so that was, that was totally me. Um, and man, I started music. So for me, I, you know, I toured with a band for about five years. Um, and, and, and was just noticing, uh, you know, when we go into these, these venues, these churches that, you know, man, there's something about like what's happening in leadership. And I would, I would kind of almost study each of the pastors that we would go and, and you know, and sit with uh, and lead worship for, um, you know, from there, I got a scholarship to go to college and, uh, man, like, you know, I, I like I said, a youth pastor, you know, I think I can say this with your crowd here, a youth pastor gave a crap about me and that made me want to do that for other students. That, that was that was my journey, man. That was what made me want to do it. Once I was in, you know, I was a youth pastor for a five campus, you know, youth ministry in Orlando, Florida, you know, yeah, in Orlando, Florida. And loved that. Launched our own camps, did a bunch of really fun stuff. Things that are still going on today, which is like 12 or 13 years later, um, you know, came down to Long Beach. I'm from Southern California. And, uh, you know, man, youth ministry was, quite honestly, it was the goal. I mean, it wasn't, you know, everyone talks about stepping stones or whatnot, like, man, I just, I just love students and wanted to, wanted to really invest there. And along the way, I just had these other opportunities that came up and opportunities that allowed me to kind of lean in a little bit heavier. Um, uh, the guys from Slingshot Group, Monty Kelso and Stan Endicott, they were going to launch a student ministry search team. And, um, and I just, you know, they said, Hey, what do you think about coming and be a part of the team? And so I helped launch that team um, almost nine, nine and a half years ago now. Uh, started with just me and started bringing on, you know, you know, just people that I, you know, really what's fun when you're building your own team is you get to watch and say, who do I want to do life with? Who do I enjoy, you know, you know, really like leaning into and who do I want to learn from and inviting yeah. those people onto the team with you? Um, and, you know, and, and, and actually, I mean, that was, that was how you and I met is, yep. you know, talking about residencies and some of the work you're doing. And then, you know, I was just like, gosh, this guy, I, I, I'd love to bring him and, and work with this guy. So um, did that. Uh, we've placed, you know, man, 300, 350 youth pastors, um, just in the like six years that we were tracking it. And it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing season. Since then, 
I was asked if I would take over the coaching division at Slingshot Group, and we launched our own coaching strategy and uh, built a, a team. We've got 21 coaches that I get to you know, really do life with and, you know, and lead on that team. And it is, it's, it's really, really cool. Man. So that's, that's the journey in a nutshell. I love it. So you recently wrote the book, uh, you and Stan wrote this together. So, um, you know, it's, it's improv leadership, how to lead well in every moment. And I love it because, um, you know, the idea of leading well in every moment, as opposed to just these prescribed moments, but it's in every moment, every context. Um, so take us, take us to the beginning there. What was the catalyst? What was kind of that beginning moment of saying, I think, I think we got a book here. Yeah, man, you know, it, it caught us off guard, if I'm honest. Um, you know, the, the idea of improv leadership is, you know, almost five years old now. Um, and it started as our internal coaching strategy. And so, you know, when we came in, you know, when I came in as that lead person for coaching, you know, I was like, well, why would someone want a slingshot coach versus, you know, whatever other coach is out there? And we started to really that question, we started to kind of dig down into what is our secret sauce? What makes us unique? Why do we do what we do? And a big piece of it was the founder of our organization, Stan Endicott, has this ability to, you know, we say he, he can get to the heart of a person faster than anyone, you know, we've ever met. And, and that ability has kind of made him a guru. He, you know, he, as he coaches people, there are people that are more strategic than he is, but but they're not able to actually get to who that person is at their core. And Stan is able to kind of get in there and, and really stretch who they are. And so we wanted to make that a transferable idea. How do you take these things that, that he does and that our coaches are doing so naturally and kind of through osmosis, how do we make those into things that someone could learn? And so we started training our team. Uh, we launched an online training, you know, like you know, executive pastors and ministry leaders would say, well, I, you know, I, I lead, five staff members or 20 staff members or, you know, whatever the number is, you know, how about you teach me how to coach my staff? And so we started to teach that. So we brought a few thousand people, you know, through these live trainings that we were doing, um, the online training, another couple thousand have gone through that. And we had someone come through and they said, Hey, well, this is, this, this is a book. Like you guys should write a book about these competencies, you know, these five competencies of improv leadership. And and honestly, at first we kind of rejected that notion, you know, it was like, that's, no, man, this is a training. This is a, you know, th this is a little bit of a system. This is not a book. And they kind of convinced us, hey, why don't you write, put together a chapter, put together what an outline could look like. And let's see if any of these publishers think it's a book, you know? And, uh, and so we, we did and partnered with some great people. Um, and, you know, it's in your hand now. I mean, you know, Zondervan picked it up and, and gosh, even, even now when I read through it, I, you know, I got my book, uh, you know, a little bit ago. And even when I read through it, I'm like, man, it's like, where was this when I was that youth pastor? Where was this when I was, you know, when I had, you know, 40 volunteers, you know? And, and so it's, it's, it's been really, really fun, man. It's been fun to, to dig in, but that's, that's the origin of the book. It was never meant to be one. That's great. Just a passion and yeah. just kind of fumble into it. And so uh, the title improv leadership, right? So when I was in high school, uh, even in college, I did improv theater and nice. it basically meant, you know, we had no script. We just kind of jumped on stage blind. Um, and we all just kind of wrote this story as we, we went mm -hmm. through and we sure. had some basic parameters, but uh, we kind of 
bounced off each other to, to, to create a, a scene, to create a, a story. So how, how does that, you know, that's kind of my context of the word improv, right? And yeah. so how does that play into this idea of improv and leadership? How's that uh, kind of yeah. translate? Yeah, I, I love that you've done improv. So you, you get it more than so many. I mean, a lot of times when people think of the word improv, they think that it means making things up as you go. Um, and it's just, it's, that's, that's actually just not factual. Um, if you've done improv or if you're a musician uh, and you, you know, maybe have improv like a, a song with friends or with your band, you know that only the best, only the most mm. proficient can truly improv something. You have to understand your craft so much that, 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 that you can draw on it at any moment. And so we've been watching, man, we've been watching, um, you know, uh, Stan comes from the music world. I've got some music background. We've been watching this happen, this phenomenon happen. But with leaders, we've noticed that when leaders, when we don't understand what we're doing or what we're supposed to be doing, um, we kind of sit back and watch. We watch what mm. other leaders, we, we, we not only watch, but like in, in, in a lot of cases, we, we criticize, we become critics and we substitute criticism for leadership far too often. And, and what we want to figure out is how can you, no matter what's going on around you, because we don't have, uh, you know, we're not working with machines, right? We're working with people. It's messy and it's not going to go the way that we want it to go. And, and, and all of the, the, the plans, I mean, think about the season that we're in right now with COVID, with all of the things that are going on in our country, um, you know, with, 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 you know, people protesting and I mean, all these things, the script has been thrown out. And in so many ways, that's beautiful. Like there are things within the church that, 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 that COVID, for those that can really improv, it's going to change and it's going to mark the church moving forward in beautiful and great ways. There are things going on with this conversation around race that is going to change things for the better for generations to come. And, and, and I wouldn't want it any other way than the way that it's happening right now. I mean, I see people that are mourning the things that are happening. I'm, I'm not. I'm watching what's happening hopeful and expectant mm -hmm. as far as the things that are going on because there are going to be leaders who have honed their craft in such a way that they're going to be able to lead out of this in a way that brings new hope, that's going to bring new tactics, that's going to uh, you know, add to the conversation. I'm also watching, though, and I'm seeing those leaders who are not prepared for what's happening right now because they can't meet in their building, because they can't have um, staff meetings, you know, live and in person, they are at a loss because, um, you know, of the conversation happening around race that makes people feel uncomfortable. They are at a loss. Mm. And, and the thing is, man, like there's so much here for someone that truly is able to improv within this context. And, and now again, this is an extreme example. This season is, but even when you're just in your normal routine, volunteers aren't going to show up that you thought were going to. Someone's supposed to speak, and you and 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 but they get sick. Um, something's going to happen with your supervisor, and you're going to have to pivot the way that you uh, ask for more budget. You know, I mean, all all of the stuff that happens in a in a leader's life really has to be able to be um, maneuvered and understood. And so what we did. Because the concept itself can go a lot of different a lot of different ways. What we went ahead and, and, and did is we found five core competencies 
that if you as a leader could, could really hone in on these five, you would be able to draw on them and lead well in any moment. And that's really what the whole concept is about. Yeah, I've heard people say that what's really hard about this season right now is that leaders are used to being the ones that have already experienced it or they've already researched it. They've already talked to everybody and kind of figured out a plan. And then they're kind of leading their team through it as well. But right now, everyone's getting the same information at the same time and no one's really led through this. And so, yeah, it kind of paralyzes people. Right. But what you're saying is, is that, you know, when you've got kind of that improv mentality of, hey, we don't know exactly this season, but we can draw on some of these, these moments, these, these uh, competencies that you're talking yeah. about yeah. to draw out some stories and things like that. And so I want to, I want to uh, talk about this. Um, I, I recently read a, a survey that asked pastors about their number one challenge as a pastor in the church. And it said this, that 45% dealt with volunteers and change. That 45% of all their issues dealt with volunteers and change. Um, And so let me break it down here. It says 24% said that recruiting volunteers is their biggest challenge. Mm. And number three was uh, 19% was developing leaders. Um, and you know, on page 47 in the book, you tell this story from your own personal experience and I just want to kind of read it. And then I, I'd love for you to kind of unpack it and kind of give us a little bit more, um, a real time, maybe if you can, and I don't give us a little bit more than than in the book. As I've always, when I talk to people, there's always a little bit more than what's in the book. Right. So I want to get a little bit more from here. So, so it says that when I, David was in next gen ministry, I had a classic problem getting volunteers to serve in the student ministry. I tried everything I knew to fix the solution, but nothing seemed to work. The turning point came when I stopped viewing the situation solely as a problem to fix and started viewing it as people to love. I realized that I had been inviting people to a task, but I was not inviting them into the students' stories or into my story. I did not ask them about their stories and weaving them into our story. But after I started engaging relationally and potential volunteers and and, uh, describing the opportunities in relational terms, I did not need to look for volunteers anymore. And this is it. Volunteers came to me. Okay, so this is like, the dream, right? This is the yeah. dream. Every, like, I mean, I, I, we work with a lot of leaders around the nation, right? And everyone talks about, oh man, I need more volunteers. And it's right. almost a joke, right? Like it's almost this joke of like, well, of course we need more volunteers. You know, it's like, right. it's kind of this joke. And so the fact that you just wrote that, um, that a principle, a competency in this book um, can help eliminate what, uh, you know, the biggest issue that this survey says, um, yeah. and we all have been in there, youth ministry, kids ministry, outreach, whatever ministry you're leading, we've all been there where we need more volunteers. So give us a little bit more than maybe uh, you wrote in the book. Yeah, well, and so, so the competency that you're talking about is this idea of what we call story mining. And it's, it's getting below the layers of a person's story. And, 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 and a lot of times, like people stop there with the definition. So, so the, the definition continues in our world. It's getting below the layers of a person's story and allowing it to shape the way you lead them. Someone's story, like people want to be known. 
They want to be understood. Nobody, nobody, you know, let's talk about your volunteers. Let's talk about your, your paid staff. Nobody grew up dreaming about their dream job being a cog in the machine of someone else's ministry, right? None of your volunteers want to come and just to check the list of being a volunteer. That might get them in the door initially for some of them, but that's not what's going to keep them. And it's not what's going to make them want to tell people about what they're experiencing. And so, and so what if, you know, one, I, uh, there's, there's nuances here in the story. One, if you can actually uncover and tell the story of your ministry well. So an example, um, you know, I, I, I like to ask, like the big ask when I'm, you know, bringing in a volunteer, especially for student ministry, is, was this, um, you know, hey, remember when you were in high school and there was an adult that just, like, spent time with you? Like, like wasn't that amazing? And here's the choose-your-own-adventure part. If they say yes... Then, then it's, then it's, what would it look like if you were that for someone else? If they say no, you're like, man, I bet you that was really hard. What if you were that for someone else? Mm. And when you touch someone's story, I told them my story. I'm talking about the story of our ministry and I'm bringing their story into it. It engages their imagination and, as to what could be. And it moves them from, um, the, the real concept of life change versus simply I show up to make sure no one's making out in the corner during the sermon, right? Like that's, it shifts what everyone's thinking about in youth ministry in that moment. The other side of it is that once I have them in as a volunteer, I looked at my volunteers as my key recruiters. And so I needed them to know that I cared about their story. I, I would, I would understand and, and mark down important dates in their family's life. I would, um, you know, reach out to them on not only on their birthday, but their kid's birthday. I knew their kids' names. I, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, that kind of stuff is important in helping someone to really realize uh, this person, this leader is not only talking to me because I serve a purpose in their ministry. They're talking to me because they actually give a rip because my story matters in the context of, of this ministry. And so, and so when that starts happening, all of a sudden, volunteers are, 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 are hanging out with their friends. They're going on a men's or women's retreat. They're, uh, you know, they're in their small group. And, and they're talking about this ministry that they get to be a part of through the lens of not just the, their duty, but they, but they know the stories of students. And we know their story. And we're celebrating together. And all of a sudden, I'm getting, I started getting volunteers that would just come to me and say, how do I get to be a part of this? What does it look like for me to be in this ministry? Because again, it was this, the volunteers were part of the ministry. They weren't just, um, the, you know, again, the, the cog in the machine. I was ministering to them through leadership. And I think that kind of stuff, man, if, if, if more of us understood that every person who you come in contact with wants to be known that every person you come in contact with wants to be a part of something bigger i i I think recruiting will start to shift in your ministry to where you're no longer just pleading and begging with someone would you please at least consider being a driver would you please you know just do something show up for something i mean the amount of times that i'm talking to you know people in next gen ministry and they're like yeah i just feel like the time commitment's too big and I'm like, cool. yeah, sure. For some people it is. For other people, they're just not actually engaged. And so they don't want to spend those extra hours. 
I remember yeah. in, in our ministry, man, I was like, are you sure you want to be here both for Sunday and for Wednesday and go to camp and do this and do this and do this? Like, are you sure? Are, you know, because I actually, one, because it shocked me at first, because that's not what I had experienced in the beginning. But two, it, it actually moved me into a place that I wanted to care for them yeah, rather than to bleed them dry and take every ounce of energy they have until they burn out and they no longer want to be a part of it. I'm trying to protect them as I get to know their story and move into you know, who they are. Yeah. And, and you know, kind of like what you said, you know, they, they don't want to miss out on being a part of yeah. that student's life, you know, right. because, because not only do you know your volunteer story, but the volunteers know the kid's story right. or the student's story. Yeah, we or, pass that along to them. We, we show them how important it is by the way we treat them and train them. And now they're doing that for others. So they can't imagine not going to that kid's graduation right? They can't imagine. I mean, that terrible seventh grade recital, they can't imagine not going to that, right? Because Come on, man. everybody loves the recital. Yeah, no, 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 they're miserable. <laughs> but like, but they can't imagine it because it wasn't about the recital. It wasn't about being entertained. It was, it was simply about this matters in this student's story and I want to be a part of it. And I'm telling you, man, if you understand now as leaders now, now here's, here's what I found. Okay. I found that most people, when they read that part, or when I talk about the idea of story mining, I've never had any leader say, nah, stories don't matter. I've never had that happen. I always have people say, yeah, no, totally. That makes total sense. Like that's a great, you know, competency for people to learn or, you know, whatever. Yeah. The problem is we don't actually do it. You know, I, I've read all these books in leadership, man, uh, that, that, talk about how they're in, they're inspirational they talk about how important something is but they don't actually give me any you know tools like actual you know ways forward to get better at it and so what, what we're trying to do in each of these chapters each of these competencies we're trying to say story mining so here's the inspiration you should know people's stories they matter they will change the way you lead they will change the way that your people experience you and and if you are not proficient at this let us help you move forward mm. and so we challenge people in that you know right before i think you you talk about that passage um in, on page 47 we challenge people when we say hey like uh what if you know what if you were really good at asking questions in fact what if you were so good at asking questions that you could give yourself the moniker um uh, i am a professional question asker what if you saw your job as a leader, whatever, youth ministry, lead pastor, you know, executive, you know, children, whatever it is, I see it as my job to be a professional question asker. Well, man, that ups the bar. Mm. So in this chapter, we give, you know, uh, a few pages of questions. In the training that we do, we actually give seven. It's like, it's like 150 questions um, for wow. people because we ask them, become a connoisseur of questions so you can know someone's story. Um, we talk about all these different things that will, let's say on a scale of one to 10, you're a two when it comes to asking good questions. What if we helped you with these tools and with this inspiration to help you to get to become a seven and then in time you practice and become a nine, and, you know what I mean? Like, and you really can hone that skill so that wherever you find yourself, whether it's at a random table, uh, at someone's wedding, or it's, you know, cause we always get put at the pastor's table, right? You know, so whether it's, whether at that, that table at someone's wedding or whether it's, it's a, a meeting that you're leading, you are ready to draw on, to improv and to ask great mm. questions in that moment. Yeah. I think, I think, you, I think it was you that, that said when I, when I was talking to you, when we were first kind of 
don't know, a few years ago, kind of unpacking this. You talked about like improv is being so prepared yeah. that you can just be fully in the moment without having like this script. Like, like, yeah. like a musician, they've practiced so much. They know so many chords. Yeah, they know so memory. many progressions. Right. And the muscle memory that they can just begin to feed off of what else is going around them. I, I love that. So, okay, uh, we got a few minutes left here, David. And so yeah. I'd love to jump into some of these competencies. There's five of them. And um, I'm, you know, I've been using them as a coach. I've been using them uh, just like you said, even at just gatherings, things like that. I mean, it just really has helped me um, to be significantly more present. And I know that's like a buzzword. That's a trendy word. Yeah. Um, but like, like I, I really feel like that's a really a big part of what improv leadership does is it allows you to be present because you're so prepared. You're not thinking in the back of your head of like, okay, right. what, what's the script? What's the agenda? What's the, it's right. just kind of, I'm just there. Yep. So let's dive into uh, one of my favorites, um, is precision praise. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about kids being bullied. Um, we talk a lot about um, just kind of a, a hostile environment that people aren't encouraged, people, you know, whatever. So precision praise to me personally just kind of strikes a chord with me. Uh, right. You know, uh, maybe it's because I grew up being picked on. Back in the day, it was called being picked on or whatever, but now it's, yeah. you know, it's got a cool name, bullied. But, right. uh, you know, so, so just kind of maybe a little bit precision praise. It's more than just, Hey bud, good game. You know, it, it's more than that. And so just yeah. give us just a little bit uh, into that. Yeah. Well, so, so here, here's the definition that we have for it. So it's uh, carefully crafting praise to, to inspire and course correct your team. Um, you know, the reality is people are motivated by praise. Uh, like, you know, we get this endorphin rush when we, when, when someone sees something in us and they call it out of us we get this, we have this ability to be able to say, whoa, like you see this in me? And, mm -hmm. and, and, and even you, you, you want it more. I, I tell a story in the book, um, again, about volunteers and, you know, and the ministry that I, one of the ministries that I was a part of, we would, um, we would have meals. So we would, you know, we had, you know, 200 and something students coming in. Ministry every, is always good with, with a meal. It's Let's so be much better. It's so much better. And so, you know, we had this, um, you know, we had this thing where we would have meals, uh, 200 something students would come get a, get a meal for two bucks or something. And, um, you know, free if they couldn't afford it. And man, it was, it was so fun. What was, what was maddening was that I have these volunteers who just really loved each other and they wanted to hang out with each other, you know? And I, you know, <laughs> and so, and so the volunteers, I would catch them like eating at, at, at tables as volunteers and they weren't spending time with the students, you know, who we had really come to spend the time with. And, and so I'd go up to them and I'd say, Hey, you know, if it was you, Hey Ryan, um, man, I'm so excited you're here. Uh, hey, would you just do me a favor and, and spend some time with students during this meal um, so that you can really build relationship and you understand that a little more. And by the way, you'd be like, totally David. Oh man, I'm on it. You know, nobody ever pushed back. Everyone knew that was what they were supposed to be doing. But week after week after week, I was having to do that same thing, remind them, why this was important things started to shift when we when, when when i started to say um like at the end when we'd have like a wrap-up meeting or in the emails that i would send i would choose someone so now i'll use you again i would say i would say in like an email hey i just want to give a really big shout out to ryan ryan is doing an incredible job um eating eating his meal on wednesday nights with students 
Well, then all of a sudden I started watching as the other volunteers started eating with students because they, because what I was doing is I was, I was showing them the kind of culture. I was enculturating them into what we were all about. And instead of enculturating them by, by, by making them feel bad or by correction over and over and over again, I enculturated them through praise. So one of the tools that we use in, in, in the book is we have what we call a praise aiming matrix, which is super nerdy. You know what I mean? It's very, (laughs) you know, coaching style stuff, but, but, you know, we would, I would literally say, um, you know, what is the, what is like the purpose of my praise? So what am I trying to accomplish? And, and really, you know, who is the audience? Is it an individual? Um, is, is that person not even in the room? And so actually everyone else is the audience. Um, you know, what are we going to do about that? And, and when you, when you start to be, have the ability to aim your praise, to use it and to become so proficient, to understand your audience, to understand really um, what motivates. So you've uncovered their story a little bit. So you now start to understand what motivates that person. You can use praise to move your ministry forward, to move that individual forward. Um, you said this kind of at the beginning when you were talking about it for a moment. You know, I was sitting in uh, myself, Stan Endicott, and actually a really good friend, Will Mancini. The, the three of us were really crafting a lot of these tools together. And I remember sitting, you know, with, with the two of those guys, and I said, gosh, you guys, are, are we literally precision praise? I'm struggling a little bit. Are we just telling leaders to be nicer? Mm. Like, is that, are we just saying, hey, every, be nicer to each other? You know, is that like the, the big idea of this? And Stan said something that just put me on my heels, man. He just said, you know, if more leaders understood precision praising, fewer of their staff would quit. Wow. And I, man, I just, you know, I just kind of lean back, right? And I'm just like, I, I could, I could dedicate life to that. If I could help that, that type A leader, right? Like I've got a little type A in me. And, and, and I know that I don't normally, it's, I have to be intentional to slow down and to praise people. Um, and if I could, if I could wrap my mind around that concept and lean in and help people to feel cared for and seen and loved and motivated, that itself, that's worth the entire book, right? I mean, like, you know, I I look at each of these competencies and say something similar, but for precision praising, man, let that ring. If more leaders understood precision praising, fewer of their staff would quit. And to me, um, we've created this revolving, the church today has created this revolving door of leaders. And in fact, I've said it in the past, um, we have this, some leaders, we're driving so hard and we're pushing so much that we have this wake of dead bodies behind us wow. of people that we have just run over trying to get to this great goal. But this goal mattered more than the people that we left behind. And if we understood and we saw them and we slowed down just enough to, to help them, everyone says, you know, in the, some of those same studies that you mentioned, like, you know, um, in, uh, engagement, you know, Gallup talks a lot about engagement. Engagement is lower than it has been in quite a while. And, and if we as the leader could engage with our people by knowing them and praising them and, um, and helping them to see, you know, who they really are. And man, that actually by slowing down, you'll go faster, right? Like, you yeah. know, right now we're just trudging forward and get on or get out, right? Like, but if we, if we do this well, we'll be able to really craft this amazing experience for our staff. And part of it, man, is that, uh, is that few of our team would leave. The best and the brightest will actually stay 
on our teams because of the environment you know, that the language I've put around it is yeah. we want to create an environment that our best and our brightest couldn't imagine leaving. And I think that's what really matters here. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Real quick. I, we got to get to this one lobbing forward. Okay. Yeah. So we're coming out of quarantine. We're coming out of everything changing. Everyone's job descriptions changing. I feel like um, we're, I mean, we're still definitely in the midst of it where everyone's kind of just kind of figuring out today yep. um, what's in today. So lobbing forward, give us just kind of a high level view of that and a little bit of, of what's in the book there. Yeah. I, I, you know, for lobbying forward um, really, this is, you know, a lot of times in, in, in the coaching world, you know, it's like ask questions and, you know, don't, don't, don't give too much advice, you know, as a big piece of coaching. And I, I both have, I have a love hate relationship with that idea. I think that it's important that we lean towards self-discovery, but every once in a while, uh, you know, I want to do what Will Mancini calls uh, explode dynamite um, and, and kind of blow someone's mind. And so, you know, lobbing forward, we, you know, the definition we have is creatively challenging your team to look beyond the day-to-day -day grind of their jobs and into the future. Here's the reality. Um, most people on your team are, are so inundated with the to-do list. Their head is down, they're on their computers, they're just trying to get a few things done by the end of the day and check it off the list. That they have forgotten how to dream. I mean, like, again, let it sink for a second. I, I would actually say some of you who are listening, some of you who actually lead teams, you are so... Um, you are so driven by the next event, by the next sermon, by the whatever is next, that you have for, you have become comfortable with the day to day. We have become comfortable with what is, and you have forgotten what it means to dream about what could be. And and for me, man, like that is that is a shame. <laughs> like like we have got to. And so again. I look at my job as a coach and thus your job as a supervisor, a boss, and it's because you're, that makes you a coach. I look at, at, at our job is to inspire our people, to make them actually uncomfortable with the day-to-day -day of mm -hmm. the status quo and, and, and to push them forward. And so um, there's, there's a quote and I, and, uh, that, that says, a man's mind once stretched by a new idea never regains its original dimensions what like it's our job to stretch someone's mind so they actually become dissatisfied with what has been happening and they can't wait to move forward wow and 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 here's where i think we get in trouble is that a lot of times um as leaders we're afraid to do that what if i inspire someone on my team and and that inspiration leads them toward maybe not wanting to be on the team, you know, having a, a bigger dream than that. What if I inspire someone and their dream doesn't match up with my dream? I mean, man, these, they're, they're real fears and I understand it. But again, that is a, uh, that is a. But what a if that person stays on your team and never dreams and never. Right. right. I mean, it, and, 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 and having that first mentality that I described is part of the sickness, I believe, of believing that they are just a cog in your machine that they are a means to an end. And so I can't inspire them. I can't praise them and make them realize how good they actually are because then they might want to leave and try something else. And the reality is, like, like what would happen if we, if, if we thought 
it's our job so much to inspire. And we have new people coming our way anyway because we've gotten so good at understanding their stories and praising them well and, and using metaphor and all of the things that, we're, that we talk about in the book that I'm not afraid of you um, having an aha or a light bulb moment. I actually celebrate that in such a way that, that, it, that I would be dissatisfied if you stayed where you are. If you stayed doing exactly what you're doing right now, I would be dissatisfied by that. Um, you know, Stan is one of the best at this. Um, you know, he did this with me a few years ago. Uh, you know, I, I was leading the student ministry division and things were really going well. I mean, again, you, I just brought you on a little bit and like uh, we, we, were, we were blowing out our goals and all these things were happening. And I mean, all these churches were getting new youth leaders. And I mean, it was amazing to be a part of this really, really fun season. And, in the, and at the peak of that, where most leaders would have said, just keep David happy and let's make sure that he keeps doing what he's doing. Stan pulled me aside and he said, David, uh, in, in the next two to three years, you're going to be doing something different in our company. And it kind of freaked me out, man. Like, I was like, oh, am I doing something wrong? Like, what am I, like, what do you mean? And I asked him, right? Because, you know, we've got this kind of really, it's a really close relationship. I said, I said, well, help me. What do you mean by that? And he said, I don't know yet. I just know that if, if we keep you in the role you're in, uh, you will become dissatisfied and you'll leave. And so we're going to make sure uh. that we have something else for you. And two years later, <laughs> I become the, you know, the, the vice president of coaching and I give that division that I loved and helped build from nothing. And I give it to uh, our good friend Vance and, and he's leading it so well and it's going incredible. And man, I like, like that was a really scary moment for me. Cause I had, I'd gotten really comfortable in what I was doing. I gotten yeah. really good at it. And then I, I was being challenged to move into something that like, I, I didn't know if it would even be successful. I in fact had people tell me, Oh, dude, don't give up that for coaching. We don't know what that's going to look like. And you're already doing so well at this. Yeah. But there was something about it. The moment Stan said that I was dissatisfied. If I were still today, the lead over, you know, the next gen or the student ministry division, I would be dissatisfied and Stan planted that seed and helped us yep. to get to where we are now. Yeah. You know, one of the big things that people have said about the COVID season is that we were forced into um, innovation yep. and that, that is one of probably the biggest gifts to ministry marketplace is the spirit of innovation that it's like those that innovate the most win, right? Kind of a deal. And so I feel like this lobbying forward idea is very, is, is a great way to keep that spirit of innovation. Like, like Stan said, Hey, in two years, you won't be in this role but we don't know what it is yet. So let's spend some time dreaming and, and thinking yeah. and innovating what that even looks like. Um, and so I think that coming out of quarantine, coming out of COVID-19, coming out of this, it'd be easy to just kind of say, okay, well, we've got these things figured out now. Right. Let's just maintain. But the spirit of lobbying forward is saying, no, there is something more. There is something great. And so and um, I love that forward. idea. You can lob forward on an individual. You can lob forward on your entire team. You can lob forward on your entire ministry. Yep. And so again, it's, it's, it really is this idea of inspiration. How will you inspire people to move forward? And so you talk about COVID and, and what you're saying is, is incredibly important. I'll even, I'll even lean into the conversations we're having about race right now. Like there is, there are people that are either a part of your ministry or adjacent to your ministry or somewhere in the middle of it that 
that have not been told for whatever reasons, right? Because people, you know, have their own conceived ideas, have not been told what they could accomplish, mm. have not been given the opportunity to accomplish those things. And, and, and they're just waiting. They're waiting for someone to say, I see this in you. I see what you could become. Yeah. I see what our ministry could be if we had more of you that was a part of it. And, and to me, man, this is our chance as leaders, right? Because the, the, the reality is so many of our churches are being led by a single um, you know, group of people. And, and, and there is an opportunity for us as leaders to, to intentionally, again, all this stuff is intentional. You will not accidentally lob forward on someone to intentionally see something in someone and draw it out of them, call it out of them, that causes them to say, I, I have to be a part of this. I have to be a part of something bigger yeah. as we move forward. Again, I think it's our job as the leader. I think we have to be willing to do that and to put ourselves in uncomfortable positions. And I know for a fact that, Ryan, someone did that for you. And I know that someone did that for me. But I talk to people all the time that don't look like us that would say, but, but no one did that for me. I didn't mm -hmm. see myself as being able to be a part of that ministry or being able to be a part of the staff or being able to be, you know, anything in any other role than what I was currently in because, because they didn't, uh, no one told me, no one told me I could. And to me, man, I, I think that it's imperative that we take this season and we look at our ministries and we look at the way that we're trying to lead others and we lob forward in such a way that inspires people um, to step into new places and help them to realize that they can. And not only that like, uh, and not that they can because they have to kick and scream to get there, but because we're paving the way to invite them into it in an, in a, in a, in an amazing way. We're giving up some of those things so that they can lead. To me, yeah. that's, that's imperative. I love it. So Dave, last question here. Um, I'd like to end with this question. What in your life over currently, or maybe even in the past, are some things that you've done or some just practice that you have to help bring you renewal in your life? Yeah. You know, it changes, man. Like, you know, it really, it really does. The one that, that I, I, I did for a long time, I stopped and I've come back to it. Um, you know, is this, uh, there's, there's an app called the five minute journal. Um, for me, I am not a person that naturally reflects. Uh, I, I drive, I push, I'm ready for the next, let's get going. Um, and, and one of those, you know, having the ability to sit down. Now, I'm not a journaler, right? I, I've written, I've written a few ebooks and, you know, written this, but I wouldn't consider myself like a natural writer. Um, you know, but there's a, that, that, that app has been, has been something for me. It asks a couple questions in the morning. It asks a couple questions in the evening. And, and it has helped me to really just stop for a minute and reflect on what has been. Um, and it and sets me up for where I want to go, you know, moving forward in the future. I, I've got this, you know, my, I've got this kind of morning routine. I've got some things that I like lean into. But that one in, in the seasons that I really lean in, that one really seems to, to press um, the refresh button for me. I love it. I love it. Well, hey, David, thanks for uh, joining us today. Go get the book, Improv Leadership. You can get it. We'll have links to it in the show notes and below in the description. So take a look at it, Improv Leadership, how to lead well in every moment. David, thank you so much for joining us. 
Hey, I appreciate it, man.